0: Hey folks, and welcome back to The Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we're continuing our series going through the genealogies of Scripture. And this time, Peter Lighthart, Alistair Roberts, and James B. John will be discussing the genealogy of Genesis chapter 10, which is the descendants of Noah. Do be sure to check out the show notes and subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you've benefited from this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review and a rating on iTunes. With that, we want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by this episode. And here are Peter Lightheart, Alistair Roberts, and James Bajon discussing the descendants of Noah in Genesis chapter 10.
1: Welcome to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm Peter Lighthart and I'm here today with Alistair Roberts and James B. John. And uh, we're again looking at the genealogies of uh, the book of, or the whole Bible, and currently looking at the genealogies of Genesis. And in the last episode, we looked at the genealogies of Cain and Seth, which we find in Genesis 4 and 5. And this week, we're going to look at the post-Diluvian genealogies that begin in Genesis chapter 10 and go into Genesis chapter 11 and uh, Genesis chapter 10 is a, an important table of names and relationships that's significant for the rest of the Bible uh, one of the ways it's significant is by simply by its numerical arrangement it's it contains 70 depending on how you count 70 71 72 different names uh, but the rounded the number 70 becomes a symbol of the uh, of the nations uh, that um, populate the the world around Israel, uh, it's the number of of Gentiles, and so, and that that number comes up in various contexts where it it's significant that it's the number of of the nations that have descended from the three sons of Noah. We have the seventy nation uh, or the seventy bulls that are sacrificed on the on the, during the week of the uh, Feast of Booths. Uh, the number seventy is sometimes associated with Israel. Jacob has seventy from his loins that go down into Egypt, but that's picking up on the same numerical symbolism and the number 70 there associated with Israel highlights a particular feature of Israel, which is that it's the representative nation for all the nations of the earth. And so it it is itself a 70, uh, even though it's also among the 70. Uh, The other thing I want, uh, just as an introductory point, i point out the the kind of chiastic structure that we have in Genesis 10, which begins with the uh, list of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's the name that we, sorry, the order that we normally list them in, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But then when the descendants of those three sons are listed, uh, they're listed in the the opposite order. So Japheth's sons come first, beginning in verse 2. Then we have Ham's sons and descendants beginning in verse 6. And then Shem's descendants beginning in verse 21. And so instead of Shem, Ham, Japheth, we have Japheth, Ham, Shem. And if you put the... The opening introduction together with the structure of the of the chapter then we can see it has this uh, is this chiastic arrangement within chapter 10
2: the numbering of the nations here which could be the 70 or 72 and sometimes number differently and um, it does make me think of the fact that on a number of occasions in scripture elsewhere we see a shift between 70 and 72 the 70 elders gathered around the tabernacle in numbers chapter 2 11 and then two elders left in the camp there are 70 or 72 sent out by christ in twos um in the book of matthew and luke so that movement between those two numbers is an interesting feature of the text that we're not entirely sure of the numbering
1: Mm -hmm. yeah the, the the gospel episode is a good another good indication or another good example of how that number is being used as a numerical representation of the world this is a Jesus is sending sends out these twelve, uh, the twelve apostles out and on a mission to the the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and then the the seventy or seventy two are sent out in a broader mission that will include territories beyond Israel itself, and so you have that that play of those two numbers,
2: and seventy two is six times twelve right. as well, which is significant itself. I was just going to say one of the things which
3: struck me as interesting as I was going through this was that uh, Nimrod, if you look at his um, context geographically, he's one of the sons of Ham and is therefore associated with Cush um, and Egypt and and Put and understand this to be in and around um, Ethiopia and that kind of area. And Nimrod is initially associated with them, but then he begins to Established this kingdom in in babel and near akkad which is quite far afield that seems to be associated more with shem's line insofar as shem has elam and asher and so forth and i wonder exactly what's going on there i wonder if there's a sense in which people were meant to stay in their roughly allotted areas but the contra gods intended order there was this sort of movement and breaking of boundaries by Nimrod.
1: Yeah, one way, one possible support for that would be the, the way that chapter 11 begins, uh, where we have a reference to the land of Shinar in chapter 1010, 10, and then in verse, uh, beginning of chapter 11, uh, the whole earth is using the same language, the same words. And then it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. I think it, most immediately that seemed to be connected with the um, wandering of the Shemites, which is described in the end of chapter uh, chapter 10. Verse 30 talks about Shemites who are going to the hill country of the east. But that does suggest a kind of uh, a, uh, a spreading out. And they're spreading out and they're ending up on the plains of Shinar. Uh, so they're in territories that are uh, linked with Nimrod. The other thing that that occurs to me is that what that establishes be- among the descendants of Ham, it establishes this a continuity, if you will, at least a genealogical continuity between some of the great opposing powers uh, within the Old Testament. You have Mitzrayim, which is Egypt uh, in, mentioned in verse six. You have Cush, as you mentioned, which is a, a lesser, but still Cush uh, comes up various places in the Old Testament as an enemy of Israel. And then you have the places of uh, ultimate exile, Babel in verse 10 of chapter 10, Assyria and Nineveh in verse 11 so at different times those are the primary enemies of israel but they're here in the table of nations they're being genealogically connected which uh kind of uh, it sets sets you up for a thematic connection that that exists throughout throughout the bible
2: and those thematic connections might also include the way that nimrod himself is described as a mighty man and the first on earth to be a mighty man earlier we have seen references to mighty men the Nephilim in um, chapter 6. And then he's described as a mighty hunter before the Lord. Later on, that's the way that Esau is described.
1: Right. So you have these associations with the sons of Ham, and then that's linking up with prior and later characters in the book of Genesis and elsewhere. While we're focused on the the descendants of Ham, the, one of the illuminating things that uh, I'm sure Jim Jordan first pointed out to me many years ago was the link that Chapter ten establishes between Mitzrayim, who's uh, one of the sons of Ham, uh, and the Philistines. Uh, that's in verse fourteen of chapter ten. It lists uh, verse thirteen be, lists begins listing the descendants of Mitzrayim, but then it mentions in verse fourteen the Pathrusim and the Kaslohim, from which came the Philistines. So uh, Mitzrayim, Egypt, is an ancestor to the Philistines, which sets up this important linkage. That's an important linkage for understanding what's happening during the early period of uh, the the monarchy in Israel. Uh, the Mosaic era begins with a deliverance from the power of Egypt, Mitzrayim. Uh, and then the Davidic era, the kingdom era, begins with a an exodus, a deliverance from uh, descendants of Mitzrayim, uh, which are the Philistines. And you have the Philistine conflicts that are going around, uh, that are the setting for the latter judges and also for the... Uh, with the time of uh, Samuel, the early early days of David, and so on. So you have, you have, again, a genealogical connection that's setting up a later historical and thematic connection.
2: The genealogical dimensions of this chapter are less pronounced than we'd see in chapter five, for instance. There are generations of the sons of Noah, but it's also um, focused upon the spreading out of peoples, not so much the genealogical succession that we see in chapter 5 and even chapter 4, and we'll see in chapter 11 in the case of the descendants of Shem. This is the spreading out and the formation of people groups that will gradually fill the earth. Um, There's a repeated refrain of um, being spread out in the lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. We see that in verse 5, in verse 20, and in verse 31, and then summarised again in verse 32. So it's a different sort of focus than we might see in the genealogy that leads from Seth to Noah. Against that backdrop, it seems as if the Tower of
3: Babel stops that spreading out, doesn't it? It seems as if it functions almost like a magnet which draws people towards it rather than just enabling that continual filling of the earth.
1: Right, and a, a temporary, uh, a temporary gathering together, but yeah. yeah, that does seem to be the. You have the you have the sudden reversal, the people spreading out in different, uh, different places, but then, trying to band together to build the tower in the city, but in the in the end, of course, the Lord scatters them again, so that they're, by the end of that story, they're spreading again over the, over the face of the whole earth in uh, eleven nine. There's a
3: kind of Ordering. I'm just thinking what you were saying, Peter, about the interaction between the lines of Ham and the lines of um, uh, the lines of Shem, um, particularly in terms of Israel's interaction with Egypt and then Philistines. It it seems that Japheth's descendants are going to be people who come into the story um, much later than that initially. I think mentioned in various places in um, Ezekiel, but then historically, obviously the Greek empire didn't come into contact with Israel until much later. And so there there seems to be some chronological aspects to this.
1: So, and you're finding the Greek references um, in the early part of the chapter in names like Javan
3: Yes, sorry, yes, Javen particularly, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. And I, I and uh, I know that other uh, there are scholars who find uh, uh, links with the uh, with Greek Greek names elsewhere in those early verses too. Kittim and uh, uh, Dodonim, are those also? Would you think those also have something something? Kitim maybe? Uh, well, again, linked with a with a a Greek a Greek civilization.
3: Yeah, um, um, I mean, uh, so what we would pronounce as Javan is, is just the term for greece in daniel for instance and kitim is probably cyprus i think some people have made connections with the romans but um it it, it seems to be yeah that that part of the world at least
1: yeah but uh, that's an interesting point that the um the main action of the old testament is seems to be taking place um between the descendants of ham and the descendants of shem uh which with the uh, or at least the until until later, as you said, uh, the sons of Japheth don't really enter into the re, re, don't really enter into the picture. I was I was thinking about the point you made, Alastair, about the the difference in the way that the just in the intention of these this uh, table um, in chapter ten, as opposed to the to the line of Cain and Seth that you have in chapters four and five, or the line from Shem to Abraham in chapter eleven. Uh, and one of the differences that um, comes out. Uh, particularly when you look at chapter 11 is the uh, the, the uh, addition of a chronology you have we have the ages of the different characters as you had in chapter five the descendants of Seth so in in both places you have uh, a list of names chapter four of Genesis you have the descendants of Cain uh, who are given generation to generation but without any ages given so there's no chronology connected to it. Chapter 10, you have the spreading out of these different peoples coming from the sons of, no, uh, sons of Noah, again, without any chronology attached to it. But then in both cases, you have uh, a the line that leads from Seth to Noah to Abraham. That line is linked together by uh, ages. So it's, it's as if time is being carried by the descendants of Seth and the descendants of Shem. All kinds of other achievements uh, come out of the line of Cain. But um, if you want to... If you want to clock the clock the the movement of history and want to want to follow the movement of history, then it's the it's the line of Seth and Shem that carry that.
2: Do you have any thoughts on the attention given to Joktan in particular? Um, later on, it's Eber who's um, and Peleg that are the line from which Abraham and his people come, but Joktan seems to be more foregrounded at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't have any thoughts on it. Hi, James. Uh,
2: no, no I,
3: I don't either. I mean, a, a lot of these names can be identified with given territories in uh, Saudi Arabia and that kind of area. And the prefix al before al-Modad um, has got a Arabic um, uh, feel to it. So Allah versus Elo. Elohim, for instance. Um, So it it seems to be associated with that part of the world. There are 13 descendants, which sort of follows this pattern we've noticed before, where the non-godly line, if you like, seems to blossom out into 12s and 13s prior to the line of promise. And maybe some of that feeds into what Peter was mentioning about the way in which time is recorded through the line which goes from Abraham to Noah and ultimately to Abraham, that God is is unfolding uh, various things through that line of descendants very much at at his time and at his
1: pace. The numerical sum is is significant. If If you include Joktan, obviously, you add one to that 13 and you've got 14 in that particular line. And that links up with the uh, uh multiple uses of sevens uh in the rest of the is in the rest of the chapter. Uh, Japheth has seven sons and seven grandsons, so you've got a total of fourteen coming from Japheth. They're in different they're in different generations. Joktan Joctan seems to have uh thirteen sons in a second generation, which spread out with Japheth, but uh you still have the same number. Um, and there are other there are other sevens uh Seven sons of Egypt, for example, uh, the sons and grandsons of Cush. I think number seven. So you have you have that numerical sevens and twelves appear throughout the throughout the chapter. Moving into chapter eleven, we see the descendants of Shem.
2: And one interesting detail here is that Shem fathers our at 100 years of age, and then lives 500 years after that. Noah lived 500 years before. Um, begetting Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then the 600th year of his life was the year of the flood. Shem lives to 600 years and 500 years after um, his fathering of his um, main son. Although Noah lives 500 years before fathering his sons. Um, I wonder whether there's a sort of symmetry or chiastic pattern there.
1: Uh, That's between Noah and Shem. And Shem, yeah. Oh, interesting, yeah. You, uh, you, uh, I'm sure this was uh, noted in the uh, last episode, which I missed. You have a, a, a recurring pattern of 10 generations that's running through these chapters. Adam to Noah is 10 generations, and then Noah to Abraham, uh, or Abram uh, at this point, is another 10 generations. And uh, that's, that's the pattern that's set up at the beginning of uh, First, First Chronicles when these genealogies are summarized. And at, one, at least one of the elements of that is that you have, uh, in these 10 generation increments, you have new Adamic figures. Noah is a new Adam in a pretty explicit way. Uh, he's the father of a new humanity. Uh, he's given all the commandments that uh, uh, Noah's given, after. the reiterated after the flood to, to Noah. And the same thing is true of Abram, but in, in a different sense. You don't have, uh, Abram doesn't take a doesn't take up a world that's been cleared of all people, but rather he's a new Adam that is starting uh, the new human family from within the human family, not, not clearing out the world, but God is renewing the nations by selecting one nation and one family from among the nations. But that the numerical pattern still highlights the fact that Abram is gonna play that kind of role. He's the, uh, in a sense, the head of a race, not just a head of a family or a clan. And there, as
2: um, James noted in our previous episode, there are um, other features that are similar, such as the three sons of the final person in mm. the line. Mm. We have um, we have Cain, Abel, and Seth, and we have Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and we also have Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And in each of these cases, one of those sons is ill-fated in some respect. Whether it's um, Abel, who's killed by his brother. Cain, or whether it's um, Ham and his son, Canaan, or um, Haran, who dies.
3: One of the things you mentioned there, Peter, about how each 10th generation, there is this notable event, this very important event in world history, reminds me very much of Matthew's genealogy, where each 14th generation, there is this very significant and formative event in history. And, I guess it just gets me thinking more generally about the way in which these genealogies which we're looking at are a way in which God connects together history and links the story of Scripture together. For instance, at the start of Exodus, we have almost 400 years skipped over with a verse when we transition from Joseph's day to roughly Moses's day, and the only thing that I'm aware of in Scripture which bridge and connect up those the, that black box, if you like, are various genealogies that we have in 1 Chronicles. And it's those that establish more of a, uh, a continuous history between the pre- and, and post-Egypt events. I don't have any response to that. I think
2: that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on the names in Shem's line? and their possible meaning or connections so, some of them are, are yeah some some of them are, are
3: difficult to be honest it's, it's hard to know exactly what to make of them especially because the um the sounds of them so the vowel sounds that we have are, are first recorded so far away from them i mean it seems likely that nahor is connected with a, a sea creature of some sort we know of various names, Nahiru in uh, Babylonian culture, that have to do with that. Um, Terach might be connected with the name Tarihu, which uh, describes a a mountain goat. And it does seem that there are a lot of animal-type names um, uh, upstream of Abraham. With Abraham, things then begin to change, and we get these slightly more verbal names, so names which begin with um, uh, a J or or an I in our translations, are are often connected with a given verb. So after Abraham, we we get this slight change in the naming with Isaac and with Jacob, and then with later, people like Joseph and and so forth.
1: It sounds like a, a movement from names with animal roots to Avram, is father a great father or something along those lines uh, are we moving are we moving toward a more a more human world where the names are being given by uh, according to uh, human relationships or in the case of uh, Isaac and Jacob in terms of human actions uh, you, joseph also would be a human action so is is that the is that the, the kind of shift you're talking you're thinking of yeah,
3: maybe, maybe something like that. There, there is definitely a, a progression. I, I don't know if it should be, yeah, maybe maybe it should be thought thought of uh, a kind of maturity and uh, a developing of that line,
1: or or a uh, you know descent uh, descent of man, origin of the species kind of thing. You're, <laughs> the the uh, earlier animalistic uh, <laughs> descendants of Shem are are uh, evolving toward human descendants. You weren't suggesting that, I don't think. <laughs>
3: I'm putting... It wasn't forefront in my
2: mind, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> putting words in your mouth. Um, <laughs>
2: comparing the different um, tenth generations, it's also interesting to see the way that Abram and Nahor come to the age of aid of their beleaguered brother. Um, so, in the case of Nahor, he takes the wife as wife, Milka, the daughter of Haran, and... Um, Abraham takes Lot, his nephew. Mm -hmm. And so in the other cases, we're seeing um, sons or brothers that are lost and something goes wrong. And there's a very different situation than this one where we see brothers coming to the aid of the brother that's in need.
1: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, Speaking of brothers, uh, verse 21, back in chapter 10, verse 21 introduces Shem this way. uh, To Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, and the older brother of Japheth, children were born. Uh, but I have a marginal note that says that older brother phrase could be translated as the brother of Japheth, the elder. Uh, and I, don't, I don't have the original text in front of me. I'm not sure I could decide even if, even if I were looking at the Hebrew. The question at issue there is the, the birth order of Noah's sons and whether we have the Shem Ham Japheth listing that we have at the beginning of the chapter whether that's a listing in birth order, uh, which is the way that verse 21, as as translated by the NASB, would suggest, but the marginal notes suggest the opposite order that Shamham Japheth is not the birth order, but the Japheth is Japheth is the elder brother. Uh, if that's the case, then we're looking at a situation like most of the others in Genesis, where the the younger brother is the one that's going to surpass the elder, uh, or surpass him in in some respect. Um, uh, Abel is the faithful one over Cain, and uh, Jacob is going to be the the uh, uh, the uh, inheritor of the promise. Uh, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, uh, Joseph over over his other brothers. I don't know if you have any opinion about the be- better translation of verse twenty one.
2: The chronology of um, verse ten of chapter eleven might suggest that Shem was born within a year or so of Japheth, but that he was born later, hmm. um, because. Noah begets Shem Ham and Japh- Japheth in the 500th after 500 years mm-hmm. um, and the 600th year is the year of the flood mm-hmm. and our pakshad is, is born two years after the flood when Shem is a hundred years
1: old mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you think that 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 supports the idea that Shem is the is the younger yeah. of them yeah. Right, I think there's some indication that uh, same same thing is going on with Abram within his family that he too is a younger a younger brother rather than an older brother. I don't know if that's uh, we can establish that from the information that we have. He's 75 years old when he departs from
2: Haran. Right. Um, Terah dies at 205 years, and he's 70 years old when he fathers Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So perhaps there's something yeah missing an extra detail that would
1: solve yeah, that yeah i don't know that we can solve that i think it, the the chronology is it does indicate that abram's father dies abram leaves his father's house before his father dies he leaves his father's house while his father's still living which is uh, i think that just um, underscores the act of faith on Abram's part, that's a radical act of discipleship to leave his father's house behind while his father's living. Even for an ancient, ancient man to leave his father's house and his father's land after his, after his father's death, to leave the land of his father's grave and go to a land he's never seen, is, that's pretty remarkable. But the chronology, as I recall, and I don't have, the, I don't have this worked out in my head at the moment, but the, as I recall, the chronology works out that Abram actually leaves before, uh, before his father dies
2: at the beginning of chapter 11 we read that the whole earth had one language and the same words as they migrated from the east they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there and at the end of the chapter 11 Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan but when they came to Haran they settled there it's not language that we actually find that often in Scripture. What are we supposed to make of that seeming parallel? That particular language isn't common.
1: Yeah, I think the, my first thought is that the proximity of those two passages, it seemed like you'd have some kind of, you've got a contrast between, between the men of Babel and Abram. That would, just, that would be another element of the contrast that's being established. They're wandering or journeying and then settling and then building the tower and city in defiance of God. Abram's father, along with Abram, is uh, uh, journeying and settling. And that that suggests Abram's household is gonna be the, the contrast um, city or the contrast clan to the people of Babel. Uh, and that's that fits with a number of other links between the call of Abram and the Tower of Babel episode, the, the great name. The blessing to the nations. I think that that contrast between Babel and Abram is is worked into the text in lots of ways. But that might be another one that another detail that would indicate the uh, that would reinforce that contrast.
0: Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those.